Welcome to the Audio Conference for Pastors. This episode is an archived broadcast with our host, Bobby Gilstrap. Bobby is a former pastor, church starter, director of missions, and now the lead missionary and executive director for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Now, let's join Bobby and his guests for this archived edition of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Welcome to our audio conference for pastors on transforming rural churches with our guest, Dr. Shannon O'Dell. My name is Bobby Gilstrap, and I'm the host for today's national teleconference. First, let me introduce you to our guest for today's conference. Dr. Shannon O'Dell is known as innovative, inspiring, and committed to reaching out to struggling rural churches. He has served Brand New Church as a senior pastor for over seven years in Bergman, Arkansas, a small community of just over 400 people. Brand New Church has grown from 31 to 2,000 members with six campuses, network churches, and an online campus under Shannon's leadership. He's the author of a book called Transforming Rural or Transforming Churches in Rural America, uh, one that you need to get a hold of and read, especially after today's conference. Shannon is also a devoted husband and father of four children. Shannon, we want to thank you for joining us today, and welcome to our audio conference for pastors. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's an honor and privilege to be with you. Well, let me do this. Uh, what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is get you to kind of uh, give us a nutshell of where we're going today. Uh, lay some groundwork for us, and then what we want to do is we want to transition right into these five questions that must be answered during our 39-minute of Q&A. So if you'll kind of lay the groundwork for us as we begin. Well, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about, I believe, the, the greatest mission field on planet Earth, and that is rural America possibly the most churched, unchurched region uh, on the planet. And we're going to discuss how we can effectively reach this area and how God desires and loves to work in obscurity, and that's when we know he receives the most glory. And uh, I'm just excited to be able to share uh, our, a little bit of our story and what God's doing here at Brand New Church uh, at all of our campuses, and hopefully it will encourage and inspire some leaders to believe God uh, on the back side of the desert. Well, Shannon, let's do this. Let's jump right into our five questions, and then uh, it will give us opportunity to be able to have some dialogue at the end uh, as well. So let's just start with question number one, and, and that is why do we believe God for big vision in big churches and small vision for small churches? I, I wish I really knew the answer um, 100%, but I think that what, what I'm seeing is is we as pastors love to preach against Hollywood, but we love Hollywood kind of churches. Uh, we love the sexy, uh, larger, we the mega, and we think to ourselves, you know what, that that guy's got it. That's where I want to be. Man, if I had that kind of resources, um, if we could be a part of, of something like that, then, man, God's really in it. When I believe, and I believe God's Word teaches that where two or three are gathered, he's there in their midst, and he's ready to do huge things, huge vision in whatever size church, because Matthew sixteen eighteen teaches us so clearly that I will build my church. And we, we seem um, uh, so easily um, enamored, and, and I'm guilty of these larger um, churches instead of um, celebrating what God's doing in some of the creativity and some of the potential creativity and relevance and, and transformation that will take place within a small church with, with great vision if we will believe God just as, as we know we do when he says to us uh, that all things are possible with God. With men, it's not possible. 
but with God it is possible. And we have this huge uh, theology of creation, and we have this huge God of um, uh, the stars and the universe and the 340 quintillion gallons of water that God holds in the palm of his hand. But when it comes to moving the bully in our church or the family that's controlled it or uh, believing that God can supernaturally and exponentially grow our church in a town of 407, for some reason we, we distance ourselves from God. We believe that he rose from the dead. We believe in a virgin birth, but we, we distance ourselves to believe that God wants to show up in the organization that he structured and created. And somehow in smaller areas, smaller churches and rural areas, we just stop believing. Shannon, let me let me ask this. Uh, right before the conference began, and there, there was just kind of some chatter and some conversation on the conference bridge. Uh, one of the conferees uh, asked the question, "How, how do you define rural?" Um, and we've used sometimes the the term "small" and "rural" as interchangeable. Uh, that's not always the case. Uh, help us out. How do you define rural? in the sense of a rural church, and then help us understand uh, the differentiation between rural and small. If you look at rural, the number uh, cannot really be defined. If you typed it in Google, some say less than 60,000, some say in towns of 2,500. I define rural in an area that is um, in obscurity. It's not right in the middle of the hub. It's not necessarily by population. I know our area is about just a, a little over 19,000 people in our county where our central campus is. And uh, a rural area can be defined by population. I would typically say it's in a town of 12,000 or less. Um, in a community in a county of 40,000 or less would be a, a probably a rural area. Um, but I'm learning that rural is, is, is also a mindset. Um, I had the privilege of being in Mount Prospect, Illinois, and I was in a church there, and, and they operated much like a small-minded rural church would because their structure or their tradition, whatever word you want to use there, has given them a small-minded vision, and it was very, it operated just like a rural church. So I would say that rural is, yes, um, based on population of, of probably a county of, of less than 40,000, uh, a town of less than 12, um, and, and then I would say that it's also a state of mind for probably 60-plus percent of our churches. So the size of the church is not necessarily the defining factor, but really the region, uh, the geography. That's correct. Okay, let's go on to question number two, and then we might circle back around. Uh, what are the most important leadership tools for rural pastors? The, there's no doubt that number one is being called. Now, I know that sounds so Sunday school and so uh, simplistic, but I am learning that in rural America and in many churches uh, with, a, with a small vision, they will settle for a good Sunday school teacher or a good leader that was in a larger church to fill their pulpit or to take over their area of leadership, that Episcopos bishop role, that senior leader role within their church, when they've truly never been called where they truly haven't said, you know what, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see God's church and his kingdom flourish, even um, in the midst of trouble and discontent and struggle. And I think that's why so many pastors experience great burnout. It's possibly that they have the gift of pastoring, but they're not called to lead God's church, which is a totally different calling than a gift of pastoring. I'd say another leadership tool that's necessary, and the scripture teaches this too, is that this individual needs to be able to shuck the corn. I mean, they've got to be able to preach God's word. 
um, with excellence, uh, with great exposition, with creativity, with relevance, in a way that brings God unbelievable glory. And that tool is, is, a, is a leadership tool that's necessary, and it's also a part that's given when a person is called. That's one of the qualifiers that's so, so important. And I think so many times in, in rural um, ministry we, we forget the importance of that, or we feel like, man, I'm not qualified but if you're called, you're qualified because the scripture says that a called leader in the church is able to teach in First Timothy chapter 3, and I think that's verse number 4 or 5. Um, another leadership tool that is so very important is networking. And um, this is a tool that God is just now teaching me in the last 24 months. As a rural pastor, you must be networked well. And the way you find networks, and of course so, through social media is, is a great way that you can connect, uh, but it, it happens with possibly your association. It happens within local pastors. And what I mean by this is not network where you come together to do a great Thanksgiving event for your community or, or have a ministerial alliance. I'm talking about network with guys that know your heart, that go to uh, battle with you over issues in your own personal life and your own ministry, people that you can ask the tough questions, uh, find out how they operate. And and we all know this, that a, that a great uh, leader uh, asks great questions. And so when you're networking, you're going to experience a great blessing from God. And, you know, there's I think there's 2,530 questions in the Scripture, and all of those questions are so important and given for a reason. And that leadership tool of networking and asking the right questions, I think those three things are a must for all real pastors. Okay, let, me, let me follow up on a couple of those. I, I don't think there's any question... Uh, about the being called, uh, and that's essential, and I can see the, the, the shortness of, uh, uh, of issue or, or ministry, uh, with those who are trying to fulfill that role and, and aren't really called. But, uh, on the, the other two, uh, tools, uh, one needing to be able to preach, uh, what are some good resources? What are some tools that can help a guy uh, who, who is in a situation that maybe is a rural situation, maybe uh, in many cases uh, a lot of guys are bivocational uh, that are working a full-time job somewhere else and, and are struggling uh, to find the kinds of things that would help them to be able to be really competent, feel like they're really prepared and, and they're competent in preaching. Uh, what are some things you can give us uh, as far as tools or resources that would help a guy be able to step up to the plate and do a good job with preaching? Well, I know that as a as a as a shepherd, as a as a leader within the organization, the pastor knows and senses the direction that they must go uh, in their teaching. So I, I say that uh, to to qualify this. I mean, uh, if you've got eyes, plagiarize. I mean, that's that sounds so unspiritual, but there is so much resource. You don't take it word for word, but there is so much resource out there on on podcast. Um, by the way, anything we have here, any series at brandnewchurch.com that they see and they would like the message notes for, the trailers for, uh, the video clips for, anything, I would give it all to them and they're going to take what I've done and or, or someone's podcast or something and make it ten times better because it's going to fit their need. And we all know there's no original idea and, and, and pastors sometimes we just try to, we take pride in the fact that we've taken someone's uh, idea and we've created it and made it our own and we for some reason don't feel like we can network with somebody else. But some of the best ideas that I've ever come up with with a, with a sermon series or a sermon message title um, has come from other guys. And then you just dive into the heart of God's Word 
and find it and you and you shape it around there around what God is asking you to do. Another a great um, uh, tool is the Ministry Toolbox. Ministry Toolbox is found on pastors.com. It is a great tool. You can just type in a search, and you might be teaching on um, uh, the issue of compassion. You type that in. There's just tons of ideas or blogs that have been written according to that, possibly even some messages there. Uh, sermoncentral.com is a great place, and I believe the majority of their sermons are free. Uh, creativepastors.com is a great resource, uh, and, and, and most of what they have there is offered um, for payment, uh, but it's, it's, it's minuscule. And it's just some great resources. You can get some great ideas, uh, but then the, the thing I encourage most people is just get on Twitter, follow pastors, see what they're doing, read their blogs. Uh, there's just so much information out there that, if nothing else, will spur ideas. Uh, and again, I want to reiterate, brandnewchurch.com, any message series you see, I'll send you every bit of message notes. If you'll just email us um, at event at brandnewchurch.com, um, I'll be happy to send you any no- message notes, trailers, videos, anything we can give you. Okay, let me follow up on the networking tool uh, that you mentioned for rural pastors. Uh, many, many guys in rural settings, especially certain parts of our country, uh, they're many, many miles from other pastors. Uh, and you've already mentioned social networking, which I think is a great uh, uh, tool that we have available to us in today's world. But uh, as far as face-to-face networking, that kind of thing, I-, I think many pastors in rural settings oftentimes feel very isolated. What What have you found as some specific steps to help them find that group of guys, that group of pastors, that, that group of like-minded uh, fellows that they can uh, be accountable to but also network with to really uh, uh, help help them to move forward uh, effectively. I know for people that have asked me specifically, um, I have given uh, just specific, specific names of guys that I've connected with that are in a rural setting, and they say, hey, we're in this area of Kentucky or we're in this area of Indiana, and I've assisted them personally. But without a doubt, the greatest way to get plugged into finding people is on social media. Find pastors in your area. I just ran into a great pastor, Tim Estes, in Salem Springs, Arkansas. He he uh, found me, and I ran into him a few, through a simple network. I actually have a blog that's breakingallTheRules.com that we're going to do a spring network. I actually have 12 pastors from seven different states with me today as a matter of fact, and uh, they're actually taking a tour of our first campus in a population 88 right now. And uh, I just sent out a, a tweet one day, as, as, as ironic as this sounds, and just said, hey, if you're interested in networking, uh, let's network together, and if you can be a part of these three dates, come on, and these 12 pastors, and we, we did whittle it down a little bit. And that's one of the best ways is just to get in that social media. And then if I can assist any of these pastors, um, just let me know. Okay, very good. Let's go on to question number three. Uh, how do you grow in a rural community? Without a doubt, it's transform lives. Um, you know, marketing, um, getting your name out there, whatever you do in a large city that might be a whisper is going to be a shout in a small community. So there's great benefit of marketing well, um, letting people know you're out there. The greatest way to do that is through transform lives. And the way we do that is through Thanksgiving baskets. We buy shoes for kids that don't have them in local school systems. Um, we go out and invest. And this isn't something that's in our budget. We don't have the money to do this. We're in a small church. And so uh, we don't have the money. So we just raise the money. We present the opportunity to get our name out there through just what Jesus called us to do, and that's reach the last, lost, and the least. And we do this uh, very well 
through um, being in tune with our community, our local uh, counselors, nurses at school systems, invest in them, ball teams, and minister to kids that may not have that nice pair of football cleats that they need or don't have adequate PE shoes, families that are sending food, uh, don't have adequate food. We're sending food to them for Thanksgiving uh, break so that the kids have plenty of food and a great Thanksgiving as well. I mean, that's one of the, by far, you grow your real community by being a part of that community and not telling them, hey, come see us, but we're going to go see you. Cleaning up city parks, washing uh, apartment complexes in low-income uh, areas, investing in every uh, possible uh, community preschool and, and other uh, opportunities like that where there's young children where you can invest and paint their school and different things like that. And then obviously this transforms the lives through the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because once you have a Saul that becomes a Paul in a small community, uh, they're going to be ten times as effective as you will as a pastor even. They tell everyone their life shouts it loudly through their business through their obedience to Christ, and a transformed life is the greatest church growth tool in the history of the world. You know, um, many rural churches are likened to be small churches, and we dialogued a minute ago about the, the differences, but um, in a large percentage of churches that are, are smaller and, and in rural areas, uh, you have uh, what they would call a family chapel kind of a, a situation where there's one or two key families within the church, that kind of thing, um, and that can be a, a plus or a negative. How have you seen that impact uh, the transformation of lives in rural communities like that as far as that church being able to grow? Well, once you become passionate about reaching the last lost and the least, which I know every leader is that's participating today, once you become passionate about that, becomes your goal and your focus. Um, you know, whether it's a controlling family or a, um, a family in your church that's been there for years, you've never been able to overcome maybe some, some issues of getting past uh, the growth barriers necessary within your local church. Once you start reaching out, um, anything alive grows, and you begin to outgrow whatever it was you were before. You just are constantly forming, metamorphosing, changing, just as these individuals are um, changing within your church. I will say this, though. There are a lot of people excited about reaching the lost in a real community until you start reaching the lost because it gets messy. It, it's not like um, it used to be. I mean, things have to change. Things have to expand. Rooms have to be uh, remodeled for student and children's areas. And um, I know in our small church, we uh, started in our preschool, and there was a family that was pretty much in charge of all that. We, but the only kid was my son, KJ. He was the only one seven years ago. Well, last week we had uh, just over a 1,000 children that were participating in our preschool and, and through kindergarten age. Well, a lot of things have to change to make that happen. And once you start seeing these transformed lives, you just outgrow all of those potential issues and you start seeing God bless. And then you know your population limits, so go outside of your population. And we started an iCampus. Uh, we started that way we could reach the world. We started campuses outside of our, our local, uh, this, this one county and other counties where people were driving from. And there's just tons of ways that you can be innovative with vision to grow your community once you start seeing people saved. Okay, that transitions us really right into question number four because I think for you to accomplish what you're just describing, and maybe we can unpack that even more uh, of how you do that, but to do that, you've got to be able to have effective leaders. Uh, I, I really think that 
uh, growth of any organization uh, rises and falls on that leadership. So how do you increase the leadership capacity in a smaller rural church? I'm I'm learning, and I hope I've, I, I I say that clearly. I have not learned. I am learning that the increase of the leadership capacity in any church, but especially within a small or rural church, is when the vision is large within the leader. The only thing that holds back leadership capacity within a church is a limited vision. A limited vision limits the gifts and abilities of the people sitting in your pews sitting in your seats. When that vision is small within the leader, the leadership capacity is small within the church. And But once you release that vision and you share that vision, you're constantly sharing that vision. And vision is not a generality. It's specific. And the way most people have to define that vision within their church is this. If my church was not in my community today, what would they be missing? Well, that helps you know what type of vision you have. What would my community be missing if my church didn't no longer existed in that community? And I know for us, there'd be hundreds of people, hundreds of families every month that were not fed. There would be people that were not clothed. There would be marriages that would be falling apart because we have a huge emphasis on marriage as well. And um, you have to increase your vision to increase your leadership capacity. Once that happens, the leadership capacity and quotient within your area. Again, we're I'm sitting here on this phone in a town of 407, Bergman, Arkansas, and I love where we're at. The leadership quotient, the leadership capacity is there. God's going to give you what you need once the vision's cast. But the vision has got to be clear. It's got to be stated clear. And then all of a sudden, people just start popping out of the woodwork to help fulfill the vision that God has called the leader to. Let me ask specifically, uh, Shannon, help us to understand maybe some of your systems, your systemic plan uh, for helping to increase leaders within your church. Uh, It's one thing to cast a vision. It's one thing to uh, uh, try to help people see that big vision uh, for the future. It's another thing to really help to raise up those leaders. What are some things that that you have learned uh, systemically that you've done to help help develop a process uh, for raising up those leaders? With all intentionality, being extremely intentional, I will take a core group of potential leaders for the vision or a, a area of the paradigmic vision that God's given, whether the vision's five-part, four-part, three-part. I will take a core of individuals, and I'll take a Karen, and I'll take a Derek, and I'll take a Mark, and I'll say, okay, technologically, this is what I'm seeing. This is the vision. I'll pour into them. And I'll show them that the vision God's given me is stuck on me. And as it's stuck on me, it sticks to them. And when when you continue to pour in their life and empower them and share them how they can make this happen, then the next thing you know, you're utilizing live satellite when you had no idea how to do it and you have no one trained in your area to do it. So systemically, I'll take that core and I'll build into them. For volunteers, I'll build into the volunteer team leaders and I pour into them every Monday night. I pour into them every Monday night, those those core leaders that, that lead these volunteer teams. Every Monday night at 6.30, I am pouring into them, sharing out of my life, 
sharing what God's teaching. It may not be about their specific area. It may not be about cafe. It may not be about greeters or parkers. It may not be about ushers. It may not be about children's area. It may just be, hey, I want to share with you, um, you know, ten things that God's taught me uh, through First and Second Chronicles. I don't know. It, it, it could be that, and then we just pour in. They start grabbing hold of the vision. I don't treat them in any form or fashion like I'm a boss. We just become kinfolk, if you will. We work together, though there's evident leadership there, there's evident partnership, and there's evident vision casting because people don't respond to need. If we stand in our pulpits or on our stages and say we need more children's leaders, no one responds to that. But if you begin to share the vision with that core group of people, then share why we need this area uh, filled adequately and looking excellently and so on and so on and so on. Uh, as you share that with that core, then from the stage, then they begin to resonate your vision. Uh, I'd say that's the two things that I do systemically. Okay, let me ask you this. In trying to increase the, the capacity of the church as a whole, the leadership capacity, of those leaders, uh, who do you feel like you need to invest in first and foremost to be able to reach the overall objective uh, across the board? I, I know you have to develop a culture for, for developing those kind of leaders. But if you don't have but a few leaders to invest in, in the beginning, I know you're beyond this now, but in the beginning when you, ha- you have very few, who are the key people you first and foremost want to invest in to develop? Depending upon the structure of the church, um, I would say when we first began, I was pouring into our servant leaders or our deacons because uh, whether I want to admit it or not, um, the, the deacons led the church. I was called to lead it, but we were not set up structurally where I could. And I poured into the deacons. Then I also poured into the volunteer uh, worship leader. And then I found at that time a children's leader that I knew I needed to pour into. So if you're starting beginning today, no matter where the church is, I would definitely pour in to that core group, that board, that that deacon leadership team, a trustee board, however the church is set up, that elder team. And then I would pour into the worship elements, whether that's um, a multi or a certain individual. And then I would be pouring definitely into children's area. And then I would move into whatever area um, of, of discipleship that is that is um, prevalent or you're called to do, whether it's Sunday school or community groups or whatever it may be. I would pour into that individual, and I was just telling our network pastors. I mean, Sunday school, and you Sunday school, and you've got a Sunday school superintendent. I would have that individual at staff meetings. I mean, they need to know where you're headed, where you're going, what's transpiring. So I would say those four pieces of the puzzle are very important, which now is our non-negotiables: the Sunday or the weekend, depending on what how many services you have. Uh, that Sunday experience is non-negotiable, number one, that, that you've got to develop. Anyone who's a part of that Sunday worship experience, whether it's someone handing out bulletins, whether it's somebody uh, opening a front door, they need to be poured into. Then the second would be your children and your students because uh, if you don't have children in student ministry excellently, your church will not grow. It is promised. If you do not have excellent children in student ministry, your church will not grow. You've got to have it excellent. And let me just say this to people that may think, oh, well, we can't afford a full-time children. We have no full-time children or student pastors, and we have eight campuses. We have no budget money for children and student ministry. Though, like I said, we had over a 1,000 children, and we had somewhere around 500 students during the course of Sunday to Wednesday. And we have no budget 
for it, and we have no paid staff. And then I would pour in to whoever's coordinating your volunteers, whatever, whoever that would be if you're strong on volunteers. Any church that's growing is going to be strong on volunteers because no pastor can do it by themselves. And then lastly would be that community piece or Sunday school piece, pouring into the core leaders, the head leaders of that. Yeah, very good. I don't want to run out of time. So let's go ahead and jump on number five, and we may come back and follow up on uh, some of these comments as well, especially during the Q&A. Uh, some of our participants may be interested. But let's ask question number five. How do you overcome the church bully? I, I know this. If you're in a rural church and if you're in a small church, um, there's always someone who, uh, or some family that is trying to have uh, all of the control within a church with no responsibility. And I know for for a, for a called leader in a rural church, um, you have got to overcome this through correct biblical structure in your church. And um, I would say that most churches, that um, rural churches especially, or more are definitely more democratic than they are theocratic. And we get into this congregational rule, and and I'm not here to talk about ecclesiology and trying to change or wreck some churches. I'm just saying that in a rural mindset, oftentimes the pastor has no ability to make or call any shots of key vision and leadership because they're not really the leader of their church. And the church has got to be structured, as Acts chapter 6 teaches so clearly, evidenced from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 6, and also in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where the church can be led and and theocratically led through the called man of God, not being a dictator or doing it all by himself. But when the called man of God is able to do what God's called them to do, it will alleviate uh, this Hatfield-McCoy potential um, firestorm that is out there, um, and it will allow your church to exponentially grow. And every church that I'm seeing that is growing and, and exponentially growing in rural America has adequate and accurate structure. And let me just say this to church leaders or pastors that are thinking, it'll never happen in my church. You don't know what my church is. I mean, everything that's happening that you can dream happened in the first three years of our church from not wanting to vote on a coffee pot because I had the word bun on it and someone was afraid it was a bad word. I mean, just crazy stuff. Voting on whether or not we should get sand for our volleyball court. And, uh, I mean, just things that I couldn't even believe would even be happening. All those things can be transitioned if you are a called man of God to that place. Going somewhere else or church planning doesn't necessarily uh, isn't necessarily the answer. I, I actually call it transitioning, and that is taking a rural church, being being the called man of God to that place, and planning and transitioning within that church by getting it to a place where accurate structure, biblically based accurate structure can take place because whether most church leaders know it or not within your churches, Robert's rule of order is not even in the Bible. And so there's got to be a structure that's accurate, that's excellent, and it puts the leader in the position to make decisions so that they can be effective and successful. Very good, and I love that new Webster's Dictionary word, plan-zitioning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
I'm not sure that's in Webster's, but that's a great great way of saying it, transitioning. <laughs> uh, look, let's do this. Why don't we go ahead and open the phone lines up, uh, and uh, then we may follow up with some more questions here. Uh, let's do it this way. Uh, I'm going to ask our conference participants if uh, you're ready to ask some questions. Uh, you'll need to self-mute your telephone. You can do that on the conference bridge by pressing 4 star and then you can unmute your phone to ask the question at the same time. Now, we're going to unmute the entire conference in just a second, and uh, everyone will need to either mute their phone on their own uh, telephone uh, or computer, depending on how you're called in, or by using four-star so that we don't have a lot of noise in the background. Uh, if we can't get everybody to mute, uh, then we'll have to go back and mute the entire call again after an initial question, and that that gets old in a hurry. So uh, if you will, go ahead and mute your phone. Uh, finally, do us a favor. Uh, once we unmute the lines and you'd like to ask a question, we'd like to ask you to give your name and where you serve before asking your question or making your comment, uh, and then we'll jump right into the conversation at that point. All right? So uh, let's go ahead and mute the line. Let's take just a second. We'll unmute the line, excuse me, uh, and then you can ask your questions. All right, if someone would like to jump in and uh, give us your name and ask your question for Shannon. Uh, this is Dean Turville out in Clovis, New Mexico. Good. Speak up real good for us, Dean. Go right ahead and ask Shannon your question. Okay, can you hear me better? Yes. Okay. Uh, this is Dean Turville out in Clovis, New Mexico. Um, I am a bivocational pastor, intentional bivocational pastor, have been for about 20 years. Um, I pastor a church that has, um, uh, has grown to the point where... We are out of facility. We've remodeled and remodeled and remodeled to where we have no extra space. And we're exploring the idea of the satellite campus issue in our community. And what would be a good kind of a resource or maybe a conference way that I could discover what that is like and how to implement that in maybe a bivocational type setting? Dean, I don't know of a conference, um, but I can tell you this. If you'll contact our office, uh, I would love to set up a conference uh, call, and I can walk you with our tech guy and our satellite team through every piece of that puzzle and what it looks like. And our uh, phone number, our church phone number, is right there on our webpage at brandnewchurch.com. And we would love to walk you through exactly what that looks like, the cost factors, and so on. Okay, thank you. You bet. Very good. Thank you. All right. Uh, if you'll remute your phone and then anyone else that'd like to ask, unmute your phone for a moment. We do still have a number of lines unmuted, so if you will help us out by four star, mute your phone unless you have a question. Let's have yes, a question um, or comment. Yes, this is Dan Wilson, and I'm in Tennessee, and I started a new church plant. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, yeah, speak uh, right up. Okay. Uh, we just started a church plant. It's about two months old, and... Um, I'm finding that the people are uh, getting comfortable uh, from from where they came from, and they're they're doing church. Uh, how do you change that around to instill uh, an evangelistic fervor and and get out and um, you know help build the church? I, you know, I'm doing it, but I'm just saying, how do you do that? I know for us, uh, the the way that we're experiencing great evangelistic growth is by creating projects for our church that are already hand-done, if you will, um, opportunities that they can't go wrong in. 
And one of the ways that we've grown one of our campuses that's uh, just a 13 weeks old is through ministering to um, low-income apartment complexes. And getting our church mobilized to do that automatically ingrains in their heart the passion for evangelism and the passion for the person to be out there. So we give them hands-on opportunity um, uh, monthly to get involved into their community. One of our campuses just put up all of their city's Christmas lights and cleaned their park. And when they were doing that, um, the, the city mayor ended up coming to their campus because he saw that difference, and then his seven-year-old son prayed to receive Christ that Sunday. So I would say that every opportunity you can to get out into the community that's created from you, from your, from the stage, uh, from the pulpit, if you will, and uh, pour that in, that's one of the greatest ways to encourage that evangelistic growth. Bridge, incarnation, not just uh, yeah. and see. Very, very good. All right, thank you, Shannon. All right, does someone else have a question? Speak right up. Give us your name and where you're serving. It's Kevin Purcell in uh, Athens, Georgia. Thank you, Kevin. Go right ahead. Uh, what's the first step in the transitioning? I'm in this place now where I basically have identified that uh, barrier and and working through that barrier. What, what's the first step that you think um, a rural pastor should take in in, in addressing uh, if it's an individual or if it's a family? In my case, it's actually an individual that's basically a barrier that I realize I've got to overcome. What's the first step um, that you think I should take? I would say um, that my my greatest hope would be that you would outgrow that individual, that the church would have so many transformed lives, people truly repentant, changed, metanoia. I'm talking about, I'm talking Saul to Paul, true lives transformed through the saving power of Jesus Christ that you would outgrow that individual. And if you're at the point where you've got to make change, I would go to that individual. I would share your heart. I would share the fact that there's opposition that you're sensing there. And then I would make sure that you're able to do that with much grace. I would say, though, Kevin, you're going to be able to uh, outgrow that individual with excellence and by making the transition. The, the first step that I would then move into is getting your entire worship package on Sunday as excellent, and I know you're doing this, as you possibly can, and then alleviating pieces of the puzzle necessary. And we had to transition very, very slowly because we had an organist, a pianist, a piano player that did awesome. We still use organ and piano at times, but, but we didn't have... Uh, some piece of the puzzle that that brought it excellently in transitions and so on that really brought that dynamic. So that was our first step uh, was that worship piece. And then I would go to your children's area without a doubt and begin to make those transitions there. But as you do that through your worship, total worship package in your children's area, you're probably uh, going to outgrow that individual. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. Thank you. This is contextual. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, we still have about 20 lines unmuted, so if you have not muted your line, please do so. Four star does it on the conference bridge. Someone else have a question they'd like to ask Shannon while we have him live? Yes, sir. Yes, speak right up. Give us your name and where you're calling from. Yeah, my name is Jeff Tuttle, uh, pastor at uh, Pathway Baptist Church up here in Prudenville, uh, Michigan. Um, I, I think a need that we have up here that uh, is, is being revealed is uh, a possibility for a bus ministry. Um, it's very depressed. A lot of people up here are, can't even afford uh, cars, these kinds of things. And uh, I have no idea 
Well, uh, I've never done a bus ministry. Could you give me some uh, some guidelines on on uh, what that would entail and what I should look for? If you're going to do a bus and route ministry, the the oh, yeah. first thing you've got to do is find that leader that's going to be able to um, push and share and bring the vision to flourishion. Um, that individual is, is going to be a a rare but yet perfect person. Um, that's going to be able to bring it out because it's a very difficult thing because those bus drivers and so on are getting home, you know, an hour later than uh, right. the rest of the church. It's a great commitment, but I would definitely say that that you've got to find that person. I, and I wouldn't buy a bus until uh, I found the person that has the heart for it, the passion for it, and then they can develop some core leaders of that'll be able to develop those routes and so on. And then I would make sure that my budget was was prepared um, for the um, the income necessary to make a, a bus ministry excellent and, and run well. But that core leader, <laughs> that is the key, Jeff. I would say by far. Thank you very much, Dr. Shannon. You don't have to. Very good. All right. We apparently have a group that's uh, carrying on conversation you know, that that are unmuted. Uh, we're hearing you there in the background. If you will, please mute your line uh, uh, while uh, we're continuing here. Uh, maybe we have another question. Uh, someone else like to speak up your question. name and where you're calling from. Got a million over here talking about how do you how do you reach beyond your church? Why why did you start? Okay, is that a question there for us? About reaching beyond the church. Can barely hear you. All right. Someone else speak up for us. A question for us. Yeah, speak right up. Give us your name and where you're calling from. I'm David Harrell. I'm at First Baptist Church in Shudrant, Louisiana. We're on the I-20 corridor between uh, Shreveport and Monroe, uh, just right outside of Ruston, Louisiana, uh, Louisiana Tech. I've been here uh, about 15 months, and the previous pastor was here about 15 years. What I have discovered in our small community is that our church does not have a very good reputation. The idea that uh, in our community that uh, this is the fortress and we kind of have this moat around the church and, you know, if, uh, if you're not part of the inside, then, then, then you're just, that's just too bad. And, and we've been trying to uh, put a new face on the church by getting involved in community Christmas programs. And then we did a, an outreach. Um, our community decided to do the Halloween thing on Saturday night, so we we did a trick your trunk thing. Well, I only had six adults because we didn't vote on it was the deal, and they have this idea that uh, we were celebrating Halloween and whatnot. But which that's a whole other ballgame. My question is, how do we how do we get people to understand that that um, to to impact our community? We have got to get out of the four walls. I mean, with basic question, I know, but it's oh, it's such a great question, though. It's such a great question, and um, it it is. It's amazing to me how internal and how mental our Christian life has become in the local church. It's just internal and it's mental. It's so not external and and deeds. And um, I just believe that the transformation of the church is going to be deeds like it was creeds, you know, with Martin Luther. I just think getting out, 
doing as much outreach as you possibly can, pushing as much as you possibly can to to get out into the community like you did with your your trunk or treat um, and so on. Um, constantly pushing at least monthly opportunities through your Sunday school or your community groups, ways that we're ministering to our community, whether it's a pregnancy crisis area, whether it's investing into, like I mentioned before, low-income areas. And if you will ingrain that in your people, it will create a culture. And once that culture is created, it will transform your church, and you'll find that there is a core group of people that are ready to see those things transpire. And if it's if it's shared as vision continually from you as you as you have the heart for, obviously, uh, it'll translate into your church. Thank you so much for uh, for you being here, and for Bobby for you hosting this. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you participating. All right, do we have someone else that would have a question or a comment for Shannon while we have him? Anyone else? Speak right up. Uh, this is Dan Wilson again. I hope I can ask another question. Yes, go right ahead, Dan. Uh, we are, like I said, we're in Tennessee, a new church plant, two months. What would you say to uh, a pastor like myself uh, who's just started to work for two months? I would say do everything you can to build the greatest relationships um, that you've ever seen within that core group that you have right now. Do, as the Scripture teaches, be as hospitable as you've ever been. Invest, pour in, spend time, go to ball games. Um, do everything you can to establish within that, that core group that you have now, two months in, um, to really become kin with them. Uh, there'll be a point where you'll grow and you'll 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 exchange that kin for a, for a new level of leadership and influence within your church. But I would just pour in, do everything you could to build and establish the the greatest relationships possible. And I'm not talking about man pleasing, and I'm not talking about making sure you do things the way they like it. I'm just saying building those, establishing those relationships. Uh, where they are able to see you, grow from you, learn from you, touch you, and see this is how uh, being a Christ follower looks. Very good. All right. Thank you, Shannon. Let's see. Do we have someone else has a question or comment? Give us your name and where you're calling from. Okay. Hi there. Hi there. This is Chris Leoy from Baltimore, Maryland. Hello. Hello. Yes, Chris, go right ahead. Yes. Um how about uh, with regard to, you know, like you're saying, building relationships, um, what do you recommend regarding the equipping of us ministers, you know, to get back to really doing the works of Christ, of healing the broken hearts and, and uh, you know, believing and going in with the, you know, with the biblical truths to help people really get that freedom and, you know, when that happens, the word gets out and you have, you know, they really get that, um, you know, that life help that, uh, you know, people are looking for when coming to Christ. Without a doubt, it becomes, like I mentioned earlier, a culture. But let me tell you what we did. We started in faith with no money, didn't have any idea how we are going to make it happen other than we knew it was God's vision, we started what's called mercy malls. And what these are, they're not sharing cares or goodwills. 
that ministry is so effective and so wonderful in the Salvation Army and all that. What it is is it, we want an experience for people where they come and can get um, clean clothes that are pressed, hung on hangers. They can shop, if you will, a little bit, look through those things, feel civilized while they're uh, receiving great need, health and beauty aids, food, uh, there's a whole system that I could share with you at another time of how we do this. We are seeing family after family after family walk into the doors of our church, be transformed by the love of God, the kindness, compassion, mercy of God, meet his salvation through the repentance and the redemptive work of Christ on the cross because we give them a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes or some toothpaste or tires on their car. And uh, we've, we've seen family after family after family. We just began these in July. But as you extend that hope, as you build that culture within your church, what I'm learning is that everyone in today's culture wants to make a difference. And this social justice and this, uh, these social issues that have become so Hollywood as well, it's, it's nothing more than the call of God on his church. It's the national anthem of the Bible. And you're exactly right. And if that transitions within Baltimore, Maryland, it's because of that compassion and that hope. And then people can't wait to come and see what that life is really about in Jesus Christ because someone met a need that they had. So that's the way we're doing it. And if anybody's interested, we can assist. You can just contact the office, set up a call. I'd walk you through exactly what a mercy mall looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. Is that number, sir, uh, the one we dialed today to contact you later? concerning? No, it's actually, I'll give you our 800 number. It's 888-391-2262. And the lady there at the front desk, just tell her you'd like to set up a conference call, and we'll uh, set up a time, and then we'll uh, sit and chat on the phone. I'd love to talk with any of you about any of these issues. 888-391-2262. Thank you very much. Very good. Thank you for giving that information, that extra help. That's awesome. All right. Uh, Anyone else? I believe someone else is trying to ask about the same time there. Speak right up. Yes. My Uh, name is uh, Cody Brown, and I'm in eastern New Mexico. All right. Give us your name again. Cody Brown. Cody, all right, Cody, go right ahead and ask Shannon your question. Yeah, my question is, um, as as we grow as a church, and, and I've heard you talk about even with your children's ministry about having no full-time staff and mainly volunteers, even as big as you guys have gotten, kind of how do you come to that decision and, and those things with personnel, maybe going from volunteer to being a paid um, staff member? Even in the beginning, we would ask people to volunteer six months prior to becoming paid staff. Um, what I'm learning, and, and this is again learning, is that some of the most effective staff that we have and probably ever will have are unpaid staff. And we ask staff uh, unpaid, and a third of our staff receives no pay. And what we ask them to do is to sign a 12-month contract just like a regular paid staff would. We treat them no different. They attend all the staff meetings. And what I'm finding is is that we are getting more work or maybe as much work done from these unpaid staff members um, than we could from four or five or six full-time staff. They've got a heart. They've got a passion. They've got vision for the church. And they're doing things that are just absolutely incredible. So what I would say is this. I would stay unpaid as long as you possibly can. And a person that is serious about that ministry, the paycheck is going to make very little difference. The the position is going to make very little difference. And then there's gauges of numbers that eventually at certain numbers you're going to need someone to oversee uh, certain areas and you're going to need additional staff. But I would just say this. I believe we are paradigmically 
in a time as a church that we need to be sensitive to the bivocational ministry call and to bringing on as many as we possibly can unpaid staff. I believe it's biblical. I believe God's glorified in it. And I believe there's a lot of ministry positions that are ineffective that a little bit of um, um, life brought in and challenge from some unpaid staff producing when they're not could really help a lot of churches out big time. I know it's fired ours up. So I would say move very, very slow in bringing on a full-time staff member when you have unpaid that are doing it adequately. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Very good. I believe we had one more question there. Someone else have a question? All right. Let's go ahead and mute the line. And Shannon, I have one more question Conference to follow up with. muted. Yes, sir. Uh, one more question to follow up as we close. Uh, uh, so often we see the same 10 or 15 people willing to step up and meet the church's needs. Uh, how do you suggest reaching new leaders in order to prevent your core group from burning out, especially when introducing some of the new ministries maybe that you've mentioned today? Uh, we are always in recruitment mode. Um, the people that are the 10 or 15, if they are, are really passionate about what they're doing, they're selling the vision of their piece of the organization, their piece of the church to people. And what we encourage them to do is have someone ready to fill their place within 8 to 10 months of their position. Who are you developing? Who are you training? Who's the person? And then we slowly begin to invite them into that uh, inner circle of whatever we may be having, whether it's a staff meeting or um, um, whatever it may be. I mean, just entering in, uh, letting them, gradually bringing them in, and then we're constantly looking for somebody else, recruiting someone else. And I, I will say this. Your greatest leader is the one that probably comes in the latest and gets out the fastest. It's not the person that walks up and says, Pastor, I'd love to lead a women's ministry. And this. There are a few like that, but most of the people that are the ones you need are the ones that are coming in early or late and leaving early. And you've got to be intentional. You've got to be strategic and uh, get those uh, leaders to begin that recruitment process. We're always recruiting. And when a leader's not recruiting, they're probably needing to take a sabbatical or step down uh, because recruitment is the key to equipping the saints. Very good. I tell you what, Shannon, let me give you just a, a, a couple of seconds here as we close. Uh, what kind of affirmation can you give our conferees today uh, about transforming churches in rural America? Uh, give, us, give us a good parting word before we close. I would just say believe in God as you do in your theology concerning your church. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe that God wrote, penned, inspired the word of God. We believe that Jesus walked the earth, that we've never shook his hand. We believe all this stuff. It's huge theology. It's huge faith issues. And I would just say to rural churches, to small churches, believe in that same God, God Almighty, to change, to transform your church, and to see it exponentially grow and make a huge impact on the community that God's called you to. Very good. Shannon, we want to thank you today for sharing your expertise and your experience and uh, your life journey in uh, rural America uh, in churches. We surely uh, haven't answered all of the questions that we have about transforming rural churches, but 
My prayer is that today's conference has helped us to think through some of those, move us in the right direction, give us some tools to put us on the right track for helping to see our churches be transformed. For our audio conference ministry, I'm Bobby Gilstrap. We want to thank you today for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Listen to future episodes by visiting audioconferenceforpastors.com or by subscribing on iTunes. An archive of past episodes is also available. Join us next time as we continue to develop leaders to their God-given capacity on the Audio Conference for Pastors. Thank you.